Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalms chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19. And we look this morning to a text uh, in the book of Psalms, and we are going to be diving into something that really came to life for me the week that the eclipse came and visited us. Uh, I looked to the first few verses of this psalm that week, and they kind of stuck with me. You know how sometimes you read something in Scripture and it just kind of sticks with you. And so I read those verses the week of the eclipse. I began to look at the glory of God, His handiwork, and, and how the firmament would, would be declaring His glory. And I began to read through the rest of that psalm. And so as I began to read through the rest of the psalm, it just really kept kind of sticking with me. And I thought, well, God, what are you, what are you revealing to me? What are we going to be talking about? And so we'll be looking at this entire psalm together this morning, and we'll be looking to this topic. The Sufficiency of Scripture. The title of this morning's message is Scripture is Sufficient. And so many of you would look at that and say, well, the sufficiency for what, Brother Jason? What what is Scripture sufficient for? Well, in my opinion, the Scripture is sufficient for everything. It is the Scriptures by which men are saved. It is the words of our holy God by which we discover the statutes of God. It is by the word of the Lord that we seek to obey and be obedient to to our holy God. It is by the word of God that we live. The word of God is sufficient for all things. I was very convicted early on in my ministry as I was influenced by by this pastor or that pastor. Uh, It seems as a young pastor you have no shortage of people trying to tell you how you ought to be a pastor and what you ought to do and I appreciate most of the advice that I've received, but too often as I was receiving this advice, I would find that people were telling me what, what program or what plan that I needed to implement and what thought process I needed to have in terms of how to do ministry, how I'm supposed to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how, how you need 12 steps to grow a healthy church and 14 steps to get rid of discord and you need nine chapters on what you should do to cause this to happen. And, and very often... That program or that system worked at some other church. And they would say, because it worked in central Alabama at Podunk Baptist Church, you should implement it at Rocky Valley Baptist Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. And the problem with all of that is, is, is this. I'm sure most of the ideas are good. I'm sure that they have their place. I'm sure that somebody spent a lot more time developing them uh, than I could ever spend tearing them down. But it's easy to get lost in trying to capture what somebody else is doing And the problem with ideas for me is that Scripture should be sufficient. My friends, if we ever get to the point that this book in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation is not enough to grow a church, we got problems. If we ever get to a point where the Scripture is not sufficient to change lives, we got problems. Because your, your pastor ain't smart enough to come up with something that ain't from Genesis to Revelation in this book. And so if that stops being enough for people to come to know Jesus and for the church to grow, then we are going to be heading down a bad path because I can't come up with a plan that God hasn't already laid out in this book. I'm sure that the ideas may be good. But ideas come, ideas fade, ideas go, and ideas change. But the Word of God, the divinely inspired, inerrant, infallible breathings of the Holy God, the Holy God, those have never changed. Thousands of years and these words still ring the same. 
And I am still crazy enough to believe that the best method of church growth is to stand proudly in the pulpit and without apology preach the holy words of our holy God. I'm just crazy enough to believe that if I'll dig my feet into the concrete of the Word of God, that that's still enough to see lives changed, people saved, and pews filled up with people who come saying, I want to hear the Word of God. I'm just crazy enough to believe that there's a remnant of people who love God enough that they say, I don't want to come and be entertained. I want to come and have the Word of God opened and preached. I'm just crazy enough to think that people can still be moved to worship simply by hearing the Word Word of God spoken and the statutes of God preached and the songs of God sung and the praises of God lifted up and I'm just dumb enough and hillbilly enough to think that right here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, in the county of nowhere, in the state of Tennessee, if we'll stand up and say, as for me and my house, I'm going to stand on the Bible. And as for me and my church, I'm going to stand on the Bible. And I might not have the, 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 the preacher that wears skinny jeans and the back backwards cap, but I do got a preacher that will open up the Word of God and preach it. My song leader might not stand on his head and play his guitar, but he's going to do his best to praise God with what he does. He might not pick the song that I thought he ought to pick, but he picked a song that praised Jesus, and whether I liked it or not, I can still praise Jesus right along with him. I'm just crazy enough to think that if my people which are called by my name will humble ourselves and pray that he'll heal our land. I'm just crazy enough to think that this word that was sufficient for Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus is still sufficient for us today. And that, my friends, gives me great hope because I told you I'm not all that smart. And if I had to come up with something that wasn't in this word, we'd be in trouble. I appreciate the lack of comments when I said I wasn't all that smart, by the way. Now let's stand in light of all that in honor and reverence of the holy words of our God from Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. In case you're wondering, up till this point you couldn't start timing me, that was free preaching. Psalms chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night under night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, let us pray. Father God, God, we pray that you would do what only you can do, and that's dwell among us this morning, Lord. 
God, we believe that if your Holy Spirit doesn't continue to dwell with us, this will be empty words and empty readings. But we believe that when we call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be present with us, Lord God. So as a people, we ask that you would do what only you can do and change our lives. Change our minds, change our focus. God, sanctify us, draw us nearer to you. And at the end of this, we promise we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all the great things that you've done for us. It is in your precious, saving, healing name we pray, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. This morning, as we go through this psalm, we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to divide it into two sections and go through it. I know that's a little off my norm. I normally do a three-point sermon. And for those of you who are scared that I said it was just going to be a two-point sermon, don't worry. I'm not going to shorten it any because I dropped a point. I'm just going to preach longer on each point. You'll get to hear just as much from me as you ever have. I'm going to preach just as long as normal. If you guys don't wake up, I'm going to preach till you do. So you might as well get going with the amen, the hallelujah, the praise the Lord, and the tapping the clock. Because I'm going to go till somebody says amen this morning. <laughs> See, y'all didn't know I knew what I was doing, did you? Many scholars look at this psalm. They say it should be divided into two psalms. That verses 1 through 6 should be one psalm. Verses 7 through 14 should be a second. Uh, but I believe as David wrote this unified hymn, that it is in fact one complete psalm, that it is divided completely accurately, that it should not have been broken up, because I believe in these 14 verses that David is writing and he's speaking to God, revealing himself in his glory. This is the revelation of God and the revelation of his glory. The first six verses focus on how God reveals himself in his creation. The last verses on how God reveals himself in his word or in his scripture. So first, let us look at the revealing of God in his world or in his creation. And we're going to look at the general revelation of God. This is the, the revelation of God that anyone can see. Anyone in all of the earth, regardless of whether they've ever been to church, regardless of whether they've ever seen the Bible, anyone in all of the earth can see the general revelation of God in his creation. God has put himself on display for all to see. The psalmist says that, that, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the firmament is showing his handiwork. Everyone in all of the earth, regardless of their creed, their race, their stature, can see the heavens declaring the glory of God. They can see the firmaments putting the handiwork of God on display. Anyone can see that. And they say, well, what in the world does that mean, Brother Jason, that the heavens declare the glory of God? I'm reminded of the birth of our Savior Jesus and some of the events that surrounded that blessed evening. Now, I know that I'm in a church full of holy, sanctimonious Bible scholars, so I'm not going to back up and go too deep into the birth of our Savior. You know the story. But I want you to remember the, something that's recorded in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, the star of Bethlehem shines, and, and there's, some, there's some magi. These magi are over in what we believe to be Persia, far east, way away, and they see that star shine in the sky. Now these magi were looking to the sky because that's what magi did. They looked to the sky, but they knew what they were looking for because God in his divine holiness had placed Daniel in that region thousands of years before that. And so Daniel had been there. He'd left behind some information. The magi had come upon it and they understood that they were looking for a star that was going to signal the coming of the Messiah. And so here they are way off in the east. They're looking at the sky. They're seeing the stars. They're looking at all of these things. 
Suddenly these magi in Persia see the star of Bethlehem and they pack their bags and say, let's go west, young men. Because there is something happening over there in Bethlehem town. Now they didn't know exactly where it was, but they knew they needed to be journeying west. My point is this, did you get what I said just happened? I want to make sure you got what I said happened way back in Matthew chapter 2, thousands of years ago. What happened was this, God... The son said, I'm coming out of heaven and I'm going to be born. And he came walking out of heaven. He came to Mary and he was born. And when he was born, the creation cried out to the glory of its Savior. The creation said, we've been groaning for this Savior forever. And here he is. And a star shined bright. Now when that star shined bright, it was declaring the glory of God. And when that star shined bright, declaring the glory of God, the Magi said, wait a minute, something's going on over there. I need to make my haste and get over there to where it's at. Now, friends, now, if that ain't the heavens declaring the glory of God, I don't know what is. If that ain't the heavens declaring that God is a righteous Savior and a Messiah, I don't know what is. A star shined bright because Jesus was born. I don't know how many stars shined bright when I was born, but I don't think no Magi were looking for them. What I'm saying is stars don't shine bright every Every time somebody's born, if a star shined bright when the Savior was born, it was showing us something spectacular going on, and the heavens were doing a little dance to celebrate the coming of the Savior. But David, in verse 2, begins to turn our attention to the sun. He says, day unto day, and night unto night, day to day utter speech, night to night reveals knowledge. And he's referring to how the sun would rise and set. Day after day, it comes up, it goes down. It comes up. It goes down. And we should at any time, as children of God, be awed by simply looking to the sky. Day by day, it shouts to us. When the sun rises, it shouts his glory. And when it goes down, it, it reveals to us his majesty as you look. Every time that we look to the sky and see the sunshine, or we look at the night sky and see the stars, we should, we should sing a song, how great is our God holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We should not be able to look to the sky and not be awed by the glory of God. But instead, we wait till we see an eclipse. And now don't get me wrong, it was amazing. And I am just as guilty as anybody of this. But we looked to the eclipse and we said, look at the glory of God on display. Look at how glorious God is. On display, the moon danced in front of the sun, declaring the glory of God. But two hours later, it was just another Monday, wasn't it? Two hours later, we weren't looking at the sky anymore. Well, we bought silly glasses to look to the sky during that eclipse. And we talked about how glorious God was. And we thought that we were a holy people because we recognized that it was the work of God. Now, I'm not taken away from the eclipse. That was definitely the handiwork of God. But did you know the fact that the sun comes up any is a display of the glory of God? Did you know that the fact that the moon and sun work the way they do and that they found out that the, the sun is rotating around the Milky Way and we're rotating around the sun and something else is rotating around us and somebody else is rotating over here. And my friends, can I tell you that it's all rotating where it's rotating because God said that's what it was going to do. And that is glory if I've ever heard it, that a divine creator spoke it into existence and all these years later it's still doing what he told it to do. I tell my kids to do something and 15 minutes later they forgot what I told them. But God told the son what to do and it's been doing it for thousands of years. That is glory of God. I went to a really cool show one time. 
at the Adventure Science Museum. Anybody know where the Adventure Science Museum is? Well, for the two of you, you'll understand what I'm talking about. At the Adventure Science Museum, they have a, a, a planetarium. Thank you. You didn't raise your hand, but you've been there. They have a planetarium. And in that planetarium, they got these reclining chairs. Now, I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to get back up if I do. But I sat down in that chair, and son, it lays you back. And when I mean lays you back, I mean it lays you back. You're looking up at the ceiling. And the ceiling... Why the, the screen starts down yonder below the seat and it goes up over your head and goes down yonder over the seat on that side. and it, It's everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look, you can't see nothing but this big dome-shaped theater screen. I like movies, so I enjoy this stuff. And the show that I went to was put on by the Creation Museum and it was about the cosmos and the sun and the supernova stars and the traveling and all those things. It was talking about the glory of God in the cosmos and in the space. And we sat, me and about 80 of my closest friends that I'd never met, we sat, and the whole time we were looking up at this thing going, wow, whoa, look at that. And we walked out, and my friends, let me tell you what we did. We walked out, and we looked at each other like this, just like I'm looking at you right now, and we said, did you see that? Did you see that? That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. God is so good. Did you catch what I said? We walked out and we looked at each other in the eyes and said, Did you see that inside there? God is so good. Do you see where I'm going with that? We went outside and talked about what we saw inside. That was a picture of what's going on outside. Did you catch what I'm saying? We were outside talking about what we saw inside. That was a picture of what we were standing in outside. We ought not been looking at each other. We ought been looking up and said, that's God's glory. Instead, we were saying, did you see that picture of God's glory they created on technology? Because we've become desensitized to the fact that we don't need a 3D planetarium to see the glory of God. We just need to look up and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. I don't know where you are, but God put you there to dance for me tonight. Thank you, Jesus, in all your might. I wrote that by myself this morning, by the way. <laughs> we have a 3D life image of God in front of us every single day. And we get so caught up in how simple it is. Don't ask me to sing it again. I have to play it back on Facebook. According to verse 3, what happens? It says there's no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. You know, I hear all the time from people. All the time, particularly from the millennials. You guys know the millennials. All you old people just snarl your nose that the generation has a name. All you people that, that didn't snarl your nose, you are one. So, But I, I talk to them all the time. You know what I hear? Oh, come on, dude, that Bible, it's old. I'm a visual learner, man. I don't read books and learn the way I eat. Teachers have had to learn how to teach a different way because we've got a classroom full of visual learners now. They need a visual aid to learn. Good. Because according to Romans 1, 19 and 20, what can be known about God is clear by His creation. You don't like to read the book? You don't learn that way? Fine, look up. And you can still see the glory of God on display. All you got to do is open your eyes. Verse 4 tells us, 
that it goes through all the earth. And the words to the end of the world. I want you to think about those verses for me. And then we're going to move on. What the psalmist is revealing to us is that creation is revealing the glory of God to us day and night. The revelation is a visual revelation that can be understood by all people that is revealed to all people every day as the sun rises and sets. Now that is pretty incredible in my opinion. That my God is so amazing that he can communicate a message that reveals his glory to every single person in this entire planet every single day just by the sun rising and setting. Think about that. He can reveal his glory to everybody every day just by the sun rising and setting. When's the last time? When's the last time that we said, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder that the sun came up today, that the rain fell today, that you gave me exactly what I needed today. Look with me at verses 5 and 6 real quick. I kind of look at verses 5 and 6 and I say, this is, this, is, this is David praising Jesus right here. This is the joy of the Lord that pours out of David in the, in the form of words. So what do you mean? Well, I mean David was, he's writing about the sun and the glory of God and the stars and the creation and how they display the glory of God. And I believe that as he's writing, he gets time to write this and he realizes that to write, oh, the sun is cool would not have been a sufficient response to what he's seen. He instead begins an analogy. He says it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber on his way to get his wife. That's what that language is. A bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The bridegroom would come out and he'd be going out to gather his wife, his new lover, his, the one that he had set his affections upon. Now you can imagine that for a man to come out of his chamber going to gather his bride, he wouldn't be doing that in some kind of half-hearted method, would he? He'd be excited. And David's saying that sun comes up every day and the glory of God comes out. And it's just, it brings about the excitement in me that I had the day I met my wife. The day that I laid eyes on the one that I love so dearly. Now notice he didn't say the way I felt about her 10 years later. He said the way I felt about her, the day that we got married. The rest of you catch on later. The two of you that snickered, I appreciate it. So he said the excitement that you should have for seeing the glory of God on display every day should be the same excitement you felt the first time you laid eyes on your lover. The first time that you fell in love with your wife, the way you felt inside, you should be just as excited to see the sun come up each and every single day. The rising and setting of the sun warms the earth. It's seen by everyone. And David had what I call a fit. Now I know that we're Baptists and we don't like to have too many fits. But David, my friends, had a sure enough fit. He said, my friends, I've looked to the sky. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When I read through these first six verses of this psalm, I am compelled to tell you that too often we come into our churches today spalt rotten. Quite frankly, we come into our churches more concerned that the people on the stage 
have done what I needed them to do to tickle my fancy, then we come in realizing that what just happened outside was enough for me to come in and worship. The fact that I woke up this morning with breath in my lungs and looked outside and that sun did the same thing that it's done every day of my life should be enough for me to shout, How great are you, Lord? All the earth will shout your name. My heart will cry. These bones will say, Great are you, Lord. Not because of what happened once you got in here. Because of what happened before you even got here. It don't really not matter what happens once you get here. You ought to be ready to praise God where you sit just because of what he's already done each and every day of your life. And so first we see him revealed in his creation. Second, we see him revealed in his word. First, we see the general revelation of God in those first verses. The revelation of God that everyone and all the earth can see regardless of what is, is shown to them from Scripture. But in Scripture, we see the specific revelation of God or the special revelation. Why is it special? Because the Word of God is where He reveals to us His plan, His will, and His love. And it gives us our salvation. Scripture tells us there is no salvation but for the gospel. And there is no gospel but for the word of God. Verses 7, 8, and 9 give us six statements about Scripture. They give us that the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord are pure. And the fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true. Look at verse 7. When he says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. In other words, God, God kind of gives us in the Bible a, a manual for people, doesn't he? Now, I want you to think about that. God is the creator of people, so who better to write the manual on how people ought to live in order to live a life that fulfills the purpose that God created them for in the first place? Anybody else in here ever buy one of them pieces of furniture that's got to be put together with 11 screws, 4 Allen wrenches, and 37 pieces of wood? Anybody ever here ever put one together without the instructions? Get to the end, you got two pieces of wood and 14 screws left over. You know why that is? Because that instruction manual was written by the person what made that piece of furniture, and he said, if you'll follow these directions, it'll work to the best that it's supposed to, but if you try to do it on your own, you're going to have some parts left over, and you ain't going to function to your peak capacity. I know that because I got a medicine cabinet that I convinced Liette was supposed to fall every time you put something on it. It's breakaway. It's a safety feature so you don't overload it. <laughs> She's not here, so don't tell her that that ain't true. She ain't figured it out yet. God love her. <laughs> God gives us in his word his instruction manual. And it says the law of the Lord is perfect. And it saves our souls. It saves our souls. The word of God is sufficient to save the souls of men. The law of the Lord is perfect. There's no contradiction. There's no misstatement. When somebody tells you that Scripture contradicts itself, you say you ain't reading it in context. Scripture cannot contradict itself because God is a perfect and holy God. Therefore, he does not contradict himself in his perfect and holy words. There is no misstatement in Scripture. It's all right. 
There is no changing in Scripture because it was perfect to begin with, so it does not need to change. If it needed to change, that would imply that something was wrong with it at its inception. It doesn't need to change because it's already perfect. It does not need to, to shift to hit our culture. Our culture needs to shift to hit it. It's not something that's evolving. It's something that's set. And in its perfection, it is good enough to save the souls of men. To rewrite that sentence in, in Jason Moll's translation, I would say that, that the beginning of verse 7 looks like this. The law of the Lord is so divine and perfect in its instruction that it can totally transform the inner person. Now that's pretty stunning, isn't it? That the word of the Lord is so perfect that it can totally transform people. It can totally transform us, take us from lost to saved, dead to living, unholy to holy in the eyes of God. Next we see the divine testimony of God. We're going to go through these very quick because your pastor got a little caught up in the first part of the sermon. So We see the divine testimony of God. The word of God reveals to us some things about God. And one of those is that he is a faithful and true God. He is a faithful and true God. What does the word of God reveal to us? It reveals to us that God is always going to do what he said he was going to do because God has always done what he said he was going to do. If you read scripture cover to cover, you'll find that he did not ever one time make any promise to his people that he did not fulfill or is not fulfilling. So when he says he's coming back, my friends, I can take heart that he's coming back. Why can I take heart he's coming back? Because he said he was going to. He said he was going to deliver his people from Egypt and he did. In spite of the fact that there was a sea on one side and an army on the other, he just moved the sea. You see, God doesn't have any obstacles he can't take care of. So when he says he's going to deliver you, he's going to deliver you. When God's word says he will never leave you nor forsake you, you can take heart that no matter what you're going through, he's never going to forsake you. Now, he didn't say you wouldn't struggle. He said, I won't leave you while you're in the struggle. When God said he's not going to put more temptation on you than what you can handle, he said, you can always turn to me in your time of temptation and I will always provide for you a way to remain holy through it. He also said, according to Romans, that you're not always going to do that and you're going to sin. But praise God, he also said in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but that Jesus Christ died that you might not have to. The word of the Lord is perfect and faithful. He's always done what he said he was going to do. He's always going to do what he said he was going to do. And the testimony about himself is made plain to us in Scripture. It says it makes the simple wise. I was going to use an example with Brother Danny Allen this morning, but I'll skip it about what a simple person is. But the Word of God makes the simple wise. He is true, he is faithful, and we can know about him by his Word. His statues are right. They cause rejoicing in the hurt. In the hurt, in the heart. That word for preceptor statute literally means the absolute truths. The absolute truths. Do you know that right there in verse 8 when it says the statutes of the Lord are right? That word literally means whether you believe them or not, whether you buy into them or not, whether you like them or not, his statutes are perfect. So when it says in the word of God that that's the word of God, it's still the word of God. When it says, thou shalt not, you shalt not. And when it says, thou should, then thy should. That's my King James English for the day. Whatever the word of God says, his statutes are right. Right. 
They are absolute truths. And not believing in them does not change their accuracy. But here's the best part. According to 1 John 1, 4, it says that the words are written that our joy may be full. So where does our joy come from? Our joy comes from the word of God being applied to our lives. Our joy comes from the Lord. It's revealed to us in his word and in his statutes. It says that the statutes of the Lord, they're not only right, but they bring about rejoicing in our heart. Let me give you an example of that real quick. You ever go through a season where you just can't find a whole lot of joy in your life? Am I the only one that's been miserable? You ever noticed when you're going through that season where there ain't no whole lot of joy in your life, if you'll back up and be honest, you're not obeying the statutes of the Lord. You're a child of God and you're living wayward. Or you don't know God to begin with, one or the other. But you can't have the rejoicing in your heart because you don't have the obedience in your life because you're not sticking to the statutes of the Lord. We are designed to have joy in being obedient to God. The world would tell us differently though, wouldn't it? The world would say joy comes from doing what you want, when you want. You ain't got to listen to God. But God would say that your joy comes from being obedient to me. The commandments of the Lord are pure or clear. In other words, they're not muddy. They're not hard to understand. They reveal truth and knowledge to us. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To acknowledge the holiness of God is to worship God. So we should have the fear of the Lord should bring about worship in our hearts. And our worship of God should endure forever. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven? Worshiping God. You know what we might ought to get started doing right here on earth? You guys are smart. You're catching on. I'll be able to stop in just a minute. Maybe. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. The word of the Lord reveals the truth to us and we are judged according to what we do with that truth. Let me let that sink in. The word of the Lord reveals the truth about God to us and we are judged according to what we do with that truth. Let me tell you what that means. That means that one day you're going to stand before your Savior and Creator. And you're going to be judged on that day according to what you did with the word of truth. Did you accept it? Or did you reject it? That's going to be the only, the only criteria. Did you accept the word of truth? Did you accept Jesus Christ? Or did you reject it? You're not going to have an opportunity to plea your case. But, 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 I don't, doesn't matter. You're judged according to when God looks at you. Does he see Jesus or does he still see you? Because he's only going to see one or the other. Does he see the Savior, his son, and the punishment for sin that's already been poured out? Or does he see you and you electing to take the punishment for yourself? And can I just tell you something else? When that judgment takes place, it's righteous judgment. It is a holy God judging his creation. And you know what? He can. Because he is a holy God. And it's his creation to judge. So sum up these few verses. God has been revealed to us in his creation. 
In his word, we see that God's word is perfect law. It's perfect testimony. His statutes are right. His commandments are clear. His fear is clean, and his judgments are righteous. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I believe that the psalmist did a good job of showing us that the scripture is plenty to see lives change. The scripture is plenty to see lives change. So how do we respond to this message this morning? One, maybe you came in here and you walked right through the glory of God on the way in. Maybe you should ask God to reveal his glory to you in a more plain way. Maybe you came in here and you weren't ready to worship because your mind was somewhere else. Yet you had to walk through God's display of his amazing love to you everywhere you turned. So maybe you need to pray that God would renew your focus. Renew your focus that you would be able to praise the Lord the way you were designed to do. And maybe you're here this morning. And you need to stand on the promises of God that he said... He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're walking through a valley, walking through a storm. And you need to come and lay that at the feet of Jesus and stand on the confidence that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. And he said, he said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Come stand on that promise this morning. But maybe you're here. And if you are here and you're in this place, you are the most important person here this morning. Maybe you're here and you stand right now knowing that if you faced judgment, you would have your own life to stand before God with. And the gospel is this, and it is sufficient for salvation. The gospel is this, is that we have a holy God who created everything. And he puts himself on display for us that we can see him every single day. But that we as people fall short of his glory every single day. We're sinners. The word of God says that we all sin and that the wages of sin is death. And so if you die with your sin standing on your back as your judgment, you will die and you will pay the penalty for your sin, which is the wrath of God poured out on you for an eternity. But bless God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still good enough to save people. And what it says is this, is that God put on flesh, dwelt among men as a perfect little baby, born in a manger, grew up, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never gave in to temptation, died a perfect death on a bloody cross, allowing the wrath of God to be poured out for the sins of all the men who would accept him. So that when we stand before God, we can have Jesus as our payment for our sins. Do you realize when you stand before God, if you're a Christian, he's not even going to be able to see you or your filthy rags. He's going to see his son. The substitution for your life is the life that Jesus Christ lived. So if that's you, if you stand right now having never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, having never cried out, God, please save me, then my prayer is that this very morning, during this hymn of invitation, you would come forward and you would say, I want to know more about what it means to be saved. I've never been saved, Brother Jason. And I want to know what that means. Let us pray this morning. Father God, God, we thank you for your glorious word. God, we thank you for your glorious truths. God, we thank you for your glorious creation. God, we thank you that you are eternally on display for us. And that we just need to open our eyes and look around to see you 
So God, one of your children here this morning is struggling. And they need to come sit at the glorious feet of Jesus and lay their burden at you. Somebody here this morning is is contemplating a decision and they need to come and declare your glory that you will be there with them in this decision. But somebody here, God, perhaps somebody here has never accepted you as Savior. God, would you convict them, cause them to move this morning and say, I want to be saved. I don't want to stand in judgment without Jesus. God, we know that it's your conviction and your word that will save them. And so, God, we pray that you do that, and we will give you the glory. We will give you the honor, and we will give you the praise. And take no credit for ourselves, Lord God. We love you, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you, and have a blessed day.